morning, church. So a few announcements before we get started. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to over-announce that uh, Danny mentioned is our building fund. Is at $161,000. Now, th- as Danny said, this was the mark where we would start putting up a structure. Uh, because of inflated prices on lumber and steel, um, we haven't advanced as quickly as we'd like to. But uh, we have... Uh, put together our minds and and came up with some other options like concrete hasn't went up so does anyone like to put together legos we have found these like styrofoam blocks that you put together like legos and then you polar them full of concrete and uh, maybe we can build a church that way so we're praying on that and uh, that doesn't seem to be as expensive as the other what it does require is uh, work from us i praise god that you guys are hard workers and willing to do that. So we're excited to build a building to where we can spread out and we're not packed in here. Okay, the next thing is the baptism class that we're going to have, the baptism basics right after church, after lunch. Uh, We will have that next week as well, and it will uh, most likely be the same same type of material this week and next week. So if you know anyone that wants to come but didn't come today, um, they can come next week and get the same thing and if you came today um, if you stay today for that then you can stay next week as well or uh, if you feel pretty good about it that's good so and everyone is welcome to stay to that even if you are interested in being baptized if you just want to learn uh, our views on that uh, please stay after Um, and then of course may the second baptism day that is going to be a great time we're going to have celebration on the side of the lake and baptize folks in the water. It's going to be blessed by the Holy Spirit and looking forward to that. Now, let's get started with our topic today. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for what you have put before us, your word. Thank you for these folks here that are hungry for your word, that want to do your will, and that want to build build a community of believers that will advance your kingdom. God. We ask that that would happen now, that we would be able to open our minds up and use our abilities that you gave us to learn and apply what we learn with discernment. In Jesus' name, amen. The making of a disciple. Last week we talked about how we're going to respond to the risen Christ after the resurrection. And Jesus gives us a clear directive as to what he expects our response to be. Matthew chapter 28, uh, verses 19 through 20, we find the great commission. That is, Jesus tells us to go and make disciples, to baptize them in the name of the Father and the, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then to teach them to obey all that Jesus has commanded us to do. So the response that I want us to have to the risen Christ is bold confidence to make disciples. Disciples, as we know, are followers of Jesus. We can make disciples because we know the way to follow. Jesus is the way. 
We can teach disciples to obey his commands because we know the truth. Jesus' word is the truth. And we can baptize them because we know the power of being reborn into new life through identifying with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Words of Jesus. Today, I want to focus on making disciples. Now, before we can make a disciple, we need to be a disciple. So, what does it mean to be a disciple? On the night of the Last Supper, Jesus set the table there. He gave his farewell discourse. And it's recorded in John chapters 13 through 17. Many rabbis or teachers of this day would give a farewell discourse when their death was imminent. And they would do this in order to solidify the teachings that they wanted passed on to the future students after their death. Jesus knew that his death was imminent. And the intimate relationship that he had with his disciple John can give us confidence that this particular student, John, was honed in to what Jesus was communicating in this discourse. Now I want you all to go home and read these chapters in full, chapters uh, 13 through 17 in John. And I know that's five chapters. That you can split them up one per day if you would like this coming week. But this is the, the teaching of Jesus in his most important feelings that we should carry out. But for time's sake today, I'm, on, I'm going to point you to five essentials for being and making disciples. These five essentials come from these chapters in John. So, turn to your Bibles, if, if you would like to, to John chapter 13. Chapter 13, verse 12, gives us our first essential for being and making a disciple. Verses 12 and 15. Jesus says, This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. I read 15. Let's go back to 13. Chapter 13, verses 12 through 15. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I am doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that is what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. To be a follower of Christ is to walk in his footsteps, to do what he did. On the night before Jesus died, he washed his disciples' feet. 
This was a job for the lowest of servants to do, but the master was doing it. He washed their feet. Now we must not consider ourselves to be above any task, but we should seek out ways to serve others, the others that are around us. Here's a way that you can serve. Miss Olive is now back from uh, her surgery, and she's doing well and looking fine. Danny mentioned that there are a few spots open to take dinner to Art and Olive. There's one out of many, many ways to serve. Now, when you've had a long day and you're really tired, do you wish that someone else would help pitch in and do the chores you know, that would help get the chores done more quickly so that you could rest. Have you ever wished that? Well, if that's the case, then perhaps next time you see someone working while you are sitting in a chair, maybe you could get up and help them finish their work. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 says, For you have been called to live in freedom my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. To serve. So the first essential for being and making a disciple is be a servant. The second essential is to love others. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. And you should love each other. You, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And then I would like to add chapter 15, verses 12 and 13. This is my commandment, Jesus says. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus said that the world will know that we are his disciples by how well we love each other. He says there's no greater love than this, that a man might lie down his life for another. Oh, in Noblesville, Indiana, 2018, there was a school shooting where a fellow named Jason Seaman look, uh, took three bullets while charging the shooter and knocking the gun out of his hands. Jason was shot three times. And he survived. But he was prepared to die if he had to. When reporters asked him, he said, I want to make it clear that my actions on that day, in my mind, were the only acceptable actions I could have done given the circumstances. I deeply care for my students and their well-being. That is why I did what I did that day. His sacrifice, no doubt, saved many other lives. Most men that I know are willing to take a bullet for their friends 
are willing to risk their lives. But perhaps Jesus expects more than just a heroic act. As I was looking for a good story, I ran across a fellow who has been in the process of molding his two young children. And he went to the mall one day, and I want to read you his story. He says, I took Helen, eight years old, and Brandon, five years old, to the mall to do a little shopping. As we drove up, we spotted a Peterbilt 18-wheeler parked with a big sign on it that said Petting Zoo. The kids jumped up in a rush and asked, Daddy, Daddy, can we go? Please, please, can we go? Sure, I said, flipping them both a quarter before walking into Sears. They bolted away, and I felt free to take my time looking for a scroll saw. A petting zoo, as you know, consists of a portable fence erected in the mall with six inches of sawdust and a hundred little furry baby animals of all kinds. Kids pay their money and stay in the enclosure enraptured with squirmy little critters while their moms and dads shop. A few minutes later, I turned around and saw my daughter Helen walking along behind me. I was shocked to see that she preferred the hardware department to the petting zoo. I bent down and asked her what was wrong. She looked up at me with those sweet brown eyes and said sadly, Well, Daddy, it cost 50 cents, so I gave Brandon my quarter. Then she said the most beautiful thing I'd ever heard. She repeated the family motto. The family motto is, Love is action. Now, she had given Brandon her quarter, and no one loves cuddly, furry creatures uh, more than Helen. She had watched her mother and I model this kind of thing and say love is action for years. She had heard and seen love is action, and now she had incorporated it into her little lifestyle. It had become part of her. Now, what do you think I did? Well, not what you might think. As soon as I finished my errands, I took Helen to the petting zoo. We stood by the fence and watched Brandon go crazy, petting and feeding the animals. Helen stood with her hands and chin resting on the fence and just watching Brandon. I had 50 cents burning a hole in my pocket, but I never offered it to Helen, and she never asked for it. Because she knew the whole motto of our family. It's not just love is action. It's love is sacrificial action. Love always has a price. Love always costs something. Love is expensive. When you love, benefits accrue to another's account. Love is for you, not for me. Love gives, it doesn't grab. Helen gave her quarter to Brandon and wanted to follow through with her lesson. She knew that she had to taste the sacrifice. She wanted to experience the total family motto. Love is sacrificial action. You may be lying down your life for uh, a quarter at a time or one day at a time in order to love others. 
It may be uh, sacrificing an income to stay at home and take care of a child or an aging parent. Or you may find yourself giving up your free time to help a neighbor work on their house. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 tells us love is patient and love is kind. It doesn't act arrogantly or speak rudely or keep track of wrongs. Have you ever done something really, really bad? Really screwed up and the worst part is is that didn't own up to it you didn't confess it or you didn't take responsibility for it but you got busted now imagine your spouse or your boss or your friend or your parent forgiving you no strings attached no conditions no guilt trip no condemnation They simply forgave you just like that. That, that is love. That is how we want to be loved. And that's how we should love others. Paul says in Romans 12 that love must be sincere without hypocrisy. As disciples, we should love others as God has loved us. And forgive others as we have been forgiven. Now serving and loving are almost impossible to do. If you do not remain in Christ. And that's our next step. Our next essential step in becoming and uh, making a disciple. To remain in Christ. John chapter 15 verses 1 through 5. Jesus says, I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. He prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit unless it is severed from the vine. And a A branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We must stay connected to our source that gives us strength to continually give of ourselves just like as a branch is sustained and nourished by the vine disciples must understand the importance of continually nourishing our spirits through the word of God through prayer through fellowship with the body of believers without these elements we wither and burn out our growth and maturity as a believer actually depends on us becoming more and more dependent on Jesus. This is counterintuitive to our nature, which wants to be becoming more uh, independent and self-sufficient. We as humans 
are also not big fans of pruning. We don't like to experience pain or uncomfortableness. Remember the, uh, the bushes outside of the church? I do. Last year they were this tall and, and this wide and beautiful. And they were, I mean, I loved them. They were about to probably crowd our sunlight out of our windows. Well, two weeks ago I, I came to work one morning and they were gone. At least they looked like they were gone. And the only thing that was left was some sticks sticking out of the ground this tall. No branches, no nice fluffiness, just little bitty stubs chopped off and I thought man who did that (laughs) probably Bev I don't know so we know Bev is is wise and she knows this but when you remove those uh, branches that big fluffy bush then this year in a couple weeks it'll start to grow again Pretty soon, it'll be more beautiful and more lovely, and it'll start to grow up, and we will get to enjoy that instead of uh, the big thing that will have flowers on the outside. But now, it's much more beautiful, and that's how you take care of a bush. This also takes place in our lives, but it's awful hard to see sometimes if we don't understand how it works. It's awful hard for us to understand it happening in our own lives. There are some sins that we don't want to give up, nor do we want to suffer, even if it means that we'll come out on the other side with a stronger faith and a stronger joy, a deeper joy. It's hard to decline invitations to parties that you used to go to. It's not easy to keep your mouth shut and walk away when a gossip circle gathers Sometimes God places you in a work environment with a really annoying person to help prune your impatience. Dealing with disease or handicaps can be God's ways of pruning your false sense of control in order to move you to rely on Him. Orchard experts say that occasionally a fruit tree will give all of its energy to growing wood and leaves, but little or no energy to producing fruit. Now to correct this condition, the farmer takes an axe and he makes a a deep cut in the trunk close to the ground. That severe procedure almost always produces change. The next year, the tree gives an excellent yield. It could be called the fruit of suffering. Oftentimes, God uses a trial as an axe or suffering as a pruning knife so that we may stop channeling all of our energies into the pursuit of temporal things, sorrow, tribulation, ill health, and disappointment have a way of stimulating spiritual growth and fruitfulness. Our attention is then redirected towards eternal things and we produce the fruits of righteousness that glorify His name. As a disciple, it is essential to remain in Christ. Stay connected, expect pruning, 
and depend on Jesus. The fourth essential to becoming or to being and making a disciple is to produce fruit. John chapter 15, verses 6 through 8. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. As disciples of Jesus, we are expected to bear much good fruit. The evidence of fruit in our lives indicates that we are truly committed to Jesus and not just talking Christian, but actually living it. It's easy to say that you believe in Jesus, but the fruit is actually what shows your faith is not without action. When we give our lives to Christ, we are not to remain the same. John the Baptist points out uh, this in, in, um, to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 3. He says that they should produce fruit that is consistent with repentance. Repent and put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. And instead, put on your new self that is being rene- renewed in the image of God. Colossians chapter 3 verses 5 through 10, and then 12 and 15. This scripture gives us a long list of things that we need to prune out. Um, Things that don't produce fruit or bad fruit. It says, put to death these sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. And then verses 12 through 15 Listen closely because I don't have this one on the board. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And above all, clothe yourself with love which binds us together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and to always be thankful. Now, this last two or three verses sound a lot like the fruit of the Spirit, don't they? Galatians chapter 22, or chapter 5, verse 22 through 23 tell us about the fruit of the Spirit. 
produces, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is no law against these things. The first three of these are what I want to focus on. You see, it, it is essential that disciples produce the fruit of the Spirit. Returning to the farewell discourse that we was talking about Jesus after or before his death, he gave this discourse. Um, Jesus gives us more insight on these first three, love, joy, and peace. John chapter 14, verse 31, tells us about love. It says, I will do what the Father requires of me so that the world will know that I love the Father. Jesus loved the Father, so he did what the Father commanded him. As disciples who are followers of Jesus, we do what Jesus does. John chapter 15, further with uh, verses 9 through 10 Jesus says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. Disciples show the world that we love Jesus and that the, the, we love the Father by obeying his commandments. And then joy love and joy. John chapter 15 verse 11 says, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow and peace. John 14 uh, 27 says, I am leaving you a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give you is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Peace. Man, if we could get a good handle on these first three, love, joy, and peace, the other six would almost spring up like volunteer fruit. When we understand how long, how wide, how high, and how deep God's love is, we recognize the endless depths of love from which we have to draw from. And when we experience the joy and the peace of the Lord, our patience and kindness flourishes. The fruit of the Spirit is fertilized by our obedience to God. As we stay connected to the vine and submit to his pruning, we will bear much and good fruit. This brings glory to God and identifies us as true disciples of Jesus. The fifth and final essential that I pull out of these chapters for you today is to testify. It is essential for a disciple and to make disciples to testify. John chapter 15, verses 26 and 27. Jesus says, But I will send you the Advocate, the Spirit of Truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify about me. Then you must also testify about me because you have been with me from the beginning of my 
ministry. You must also testify about me. You know, some of my favorite things are uh, fishing, um, shooting, uh, reloading, hiking in nature. Um, I I like to fix uh, cars. It's a must for me, and I actually like to do it sometimes. Um, I, I like to work on church projects. But you know, probably the main thing, the main reason why I like to do all those things is because I can do them with other people. You know, going fishing, uh, it's great, but I wouldn't go fishing by myself. And that's okay if you do, but I, I just, I, I guess I don't get in the relaxation mode very well. If, if I'm experiencing something cool, I want to take my kids or, or a buddy or my wife, somebody else to experience it with me. If I'm working on my car and removing the starter and replacing it, I, I want my son there to learn how to do it so that uh, he can do it someday. Um, if I don't have anybody there, anybody to hold the nuts or something, I get angry and it, it, it's just not good. Uh, I think this is kind of the same point that that we're looking at here. If we learn something really cool really good something life changing why keep it to yourself there would be no point to uh, spreading the good news without actually spreading it so disciples they share what they've been taught Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 3 and 4 I pass on to you what is most important and what has been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, was buried, and raised from the dead. Listen, we are to share the good news with everyone. People we are close to, people we are associated with a little bit, and those who are distant. We don't even know it all. We're to share the good news with them. When we share the good news and someone confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God has raised Him from the dead, we get excited and are ready to celebrate, but our job is not yet finished. Jesus commands us then to baptize them. This is part of the Great Commission. We do a great injustice if we lead them through the sinner's prayer and don't assist them in the first act of obedience, we should encourage them to follow Jesus' example of being baptized. Baptism is a testimony of action that declares publicly an outward expression of an inward commitment. Peter describes baptism as a pledge of a clean conscience, not because your body is washed by water, but because it is a symbol of being buried with Christ in death and washed clean of your sins as you are raised up to new life in the Spirit. You guys uh, probably know the the island Madagascar. I've never been there. It would be a cool place. I didn't know actually people lived there. I thought just uh, lemurs and monkeys and penguins lived there. But uh, evidently, there was uh, there are natives there, and and missionaries would go there and um, preach the the good news to them. And uh, the neat thing is, is that when often when the 
person who has given their life to Christ come up for baptism, they're asked, why did you choose to do this? Um, almost every time, the natives would explain, man, it's because I've seen the transition in other Christians that have came up and done the same thing. They would say, I used to know a guy who was a thief. He would steal everything. Now, he's an honest man. I used to know a drunkard, and now he's a sober and respectable fella. I used to know someone who was cruel and unkind to his wife and his family, violent, and now he's gentle and kind. This is, this is what it means to be a disciple, uh, a change, an acting, a doing. And then we spread that word just by our changing and acting. You may, uh, you may be reminded of another type of testimony. It's found in Luke chapter 8. Jesus casts out a bunch of demons out of a man. And then he tells the man to go and tell all that God has done for him. God has done so much for us. How can we not testify to his goodness and mercy? What, God, what has God done for you that you should share with someone else in order to encourage them to glorify God? And finally, it's important to testify about Jesus because he says in Matthew chapter 10 verse 32 everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth I will also acknowledge before my father in heaven we may be persecuted for speaking about Jesus and for spreading the good news but Jesus tells us not to worry about that and it's a little difficult to do but it's the word of Jesus, so we can do it. Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 through 20 says, Look, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. Let this be our part of the commission. So be as shrewd as snakes and harmless as doves. But beware, for you will be handed over to the courts and will be flogged with whips in synagogues, you will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell the rulers and other uh, unbelievers about me. When you are arrested, don't worry about how to respond or what to say. God will give you the right words at the right time. For it is not you who will be speaking. It will be the spirit of your father speaking through you. If we are to make disciples, we must first be disciples. We can take part in the Great Commission to go and to make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to obey His commands if we will commit to implementing these five essentials into our lives. As we become better disciples, serving and loving people by remaining connected to Jesus and bearing good fruit, our testimony will attract others to the way, to the truth, and to the life. As we head into this next week, in this uh, fresh new season, I want to pray over you as Paul prayed for the Colossians 
in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 12. So I have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. I ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the, la- the way you will live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow and learn to know God better and better. I also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so that you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to His people who live in the light. Father God, I continue to pray for everyone here, God, for us to be strengthened, to be bold and courageous in testifying to Your name, to be disciples that please You, that that work to advance Your kingdom, God. I ask that you would help us to use the wisdom and discernment that you provided through Jesus' word that we've read today. Or help us to use it in a way that will glorify you. God, we thank you for your forgiveness, for the gift of salvation through Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.